Hello, everybody, and welcome to this week's Master Instructor Roundtable. I am Master Instructor Marty Miller here with my good friend, fellow Master Instructor, Miss Wendy Batts. How are you? I'm great, Marty. How are you? Awesome. I'm excited. Today is part one, and we are going to take a deep dive into the hip complex. Yes. Um, you know, we have taken different body parts and broken it up, and this is a big one that uh, because of the freedom that the hip can have and all the muscles and all the uh, attachments and everything sometimes confuses people. And so I'm excited to, this is gonna be one of three. So we hope you guys attend the next two after this one to learn more and, and to really dig into the hip complex. Um, and uh, let's let's see how it goes. <laughs> it's gonna go amazing, Wendy, what do you mean? <laughs> Always, always. With you, Marty, I feel comfortable. We do our homework, right? So, absolutely. Absolutely. I'm excited for this because I really think that when we look at movement dysfunction, you know, people kind of look at the core and the level of a hip complex, but man, the hip does so much. And this is why we're going to talk about this. And hopefully over the course of the three different uh, master instructor roundtables, we can really just, you know, explore things and give people a true understanding of how important that hip is. Absolutely. And I think that's, I mean, you know, when you look at the breakdown of what we're going to talk about, we are going to dive deep into the importance of the hip. Um, and not just, I mean, we're showing a picture of a player, but, you know, you want to think about just everyday life. And of course, with us being a, uh, you know, being in a seated position more with all the common compensations that we see, obviously the hip plays an important role um, that we really want to focus on that because it, it really does it's kind of our our powerhouse. I mean, we need the the glutes to fire the right way. We need the hip flexors to be in in ideal uh, positioning in order to execute some at the highest level. No matter if they're a professional athlete or a mom, we all need to be able to move our hips. And um, so we're going to talk a little bit about some anatomy. Of course, we're not going to dive deep into every origin and insertion, but really kind of dig into the the importance of certain muscles in particular. And of course, we're going to talk about assessments. Assessing the hip is important. You want to see what compensations are there because that will help in your programming. And then as always, we need a plan of action. We need to know what to do with this information in order to uh, get everything working the way it's intended to work. So all right, Marty, why don't we dive straight in? Why don't you talk a little bit if we go to the next slide about the importance of the hip? So when we talk about that, why is it so important? It's really hard to do anything in life without your hips working, right? You know, obviously for anyone that is standing, sitting, walking, and you know, anything you're trying to do uh, in life, your hips hopefully are fully engaged in that process. And or if you have any dysfunction, you're going to have dysfunction in almost every single movement you do. So that's why, you know, the hips are such an important part of the body. Yes, they're great for uh, elite power and performance. And yes, there's a lot of people that work on them for cosmetics. But when you look at just the pure function of human movement and the importance that they play in allowing you to live a hopefully healthy and long and prosperous life, having good hip function is going to keep you moving and grooving, you know, your entire lifetime. And obviously when your hips are working well, you can be more active. You can do more and more of the things that we like to do. And I think sometimes people just kind of don't really understand the importance of true functioning hips. 
Absolutely. And, and, you know, if you guys remember, Marty and I have done some uh, webinars in the past, really kind of digging into the anterior pelvic tilt, as well as the posterior pelvic tilts. And if you haven't checked those out, then I suggest maybe going back and, and visiting those as well, because, you know, we did take a, a, a deep dive into those particular compensations. And so when we, we kind of look at this um, in general, there are so many dysfunctions that can happen. And to your point, Marty, I mean, it's going to lead to low back pain. If you're not careful, it will lead to impingement issues where people are saying like, you know, when I stand up, I get this sharp pain in my hip. Um, and, you know, some of those are just due to basic muscle imbalances that sometimes we overlook because we're so concerned about what's happening above and below the hips versus what's actually happening at the hip. And so I think that's kind of important to note and, you know, kind of brings us into if we go to the next slide, Marty, I know this is kind of your wheelhouse. And so when we're talking about the anatomy and the function of the hip, I mean, we all know that it's a ball and socket joint and it's the deepest ball and socket joint that we have, because um, if you think about, um, you know, the leg and the hip and uh, and all the, the things that surround it, why don't you kind of go into um, into a the information a little bit deeper for us. Sure. So, you know, a lot of people have a better understanding of maybe the shoulder anatomy and that you have all these degrees of freedom. And because of that, you lose some stability. Now the hip is a ball and socket joint. So yes, it is a more unstable joint than other joints in the body. Now the hip has bigger and stronger muscles around it, maybe has a little bit deeper of a socket. So you don't see as many dislocations in a hip that you would in a shoulder because people falling on their outstretched arm, et cetera. But when you look at the structure of the joint being a ball and socket, it's supposed to have a lot of degrees of freedom and movement, all three planes of motion. But when you restrict that motion, especially now, if you think about what's happening when we walk, we run, we do jump, our foot is stuck to the ground. So that's what we call a closed chain. So if there's a dysfunction in the foot and ankle, or if there's dysfunction in the hip, that hip now has to create motion somewhere else to provide, you know, whatever we want to do, whether it's a walk, a run, a jump, et cetera. So it's really, really important to look at the hip similar to the shoulder that we want that ball and socket to be centered properly. And we, you know, Wendy already talked about what would happen if we had an anterior tilt, we cover that in a posterior tilt. So if you have an anterior tilt or posterior pelvic tilt, the odds of the head of your femur being centered properly in that joint are just going to be statistically less. Then if we're not working on the range of motion, in all three planes that you would see at a ball and socket joint. If you lack some mobility, which we'll talk about as we go through all three weeks here, we're going to talk about really, especially hip internal rotation. And these muscles can't stabilize or keep your body centered and or perform their function. You're going to end up with some type of issue, right? It's just, it's inevitable, whether it's, you know, anterior hip pain, whether it's a bursitis, whether it's sciatic pain, or if your hip is just dysfunctional enough that all of a sudden the pain ends up in your low back or your knee, a lot of times the hip is the problem, but it's not the, where the pain is. And we start to isolate and treat other things without really looking at the integrated functioning of the hip. So that's why it is just such a crucial joint. And I think, unfortunately, sometimes often overlooked, in my opinion. Oh, I agree. And, you know, we often say, too, that, you know, the hip and the ankle pretty much dictate what happens at the knee. And so, you know, that's one of the reasons when we always, and we'll go into this obviously in more detail, but when you're looking at the assessments, if you see compensations um, only at the hip and not at the, the foot, 
and I shouldn't say only at the hip, but in the knee and the hip, then oftentimes because the knee kind of follows what the hip does, then, you know, there's a lot of dysfunction at the hip, which can lead to some major injuries at the knee complex, especially uh, along with even your shoulder. Because, you know, you think about if you have an anterior pelvic tilt, which just means, again, that you're 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 arching your back because that's your hip flexors are so tight and the amount of compression in the lower back that's going to affect the lat length that could also affect the shoulder. And so when we really talk about the kinetic chain and why we really focus on the five kinetic chain checkpoints and proper alignment, that one thing, no matter if it's at the foot and ankle, no matter if it's at the hip, it can lead to so many major things happening at other joints. And that's why when people just specialize, if they're having issues in their shoulder and they're only work on their shoulder and it's not getting better, they're really kind of missing that it's starting at the hips and causing that shoulder pain. And so, so hopefully by the time we're done with the three part series, you guys feel well, well informed um, mm -hmm. on all the stuff that we're going to talk about and maybe kind of hopefully set off some light bulbs of make sure that you check this out too. If you notice some of these other compensations are occurring. Yeah. And, and when do you know that I have to go off script every so often? Cause when you say <laughs> that stuff, that's okay. Just, you know, that's, but you're used to it. And that's why we, stick with this, you know, we, we, we work together every week because you can handle me just like having this light bulb moment. But, you know, the key thing I think about the hip complex is for years, you know, it was kind of not thought about, but now when you go in the gym, you see everybody loading up the bar, crawling under the bar, doing their hip thrust. And that's awesome. People have gotten now to understand that you got to train the glutes and you see all these cool exercises we will talk about the execution of those at some later point maybe when we get to program design but the biggest issue i see right now is everyone's going for how much weight can they move mm -hmm. and when you look at these little muscles that are in that joint underneath the glutes again i always use that phrase we have to earn the right to get to that point and i think one of the biggest mistakes we're making in the industry right now is we've gotten so in love with glute training that it's all about power and intensity, but the function of the hip is not there. So now you take a hip that doesn't have good internal rotation, doesn't have good hip extension, doesn't have the stability of the pelvis, and now we're loading it up. We used to load it up just with squats back in the day, but now we load it up all kinds of ways, and now we're doing frontal plane stuff, and I'm just watching people in the gym. I'm like, I see the effort. I see the idea, but boy, oh boy, you know they're going about it wrong. So when we... If there's one, there's gonna be a lot of things we really hope that you get out of this, but let's, let's really look at the hip as, is it stable? Is it doing what it needs to do? Does it have the right range of motion? And then let's work towards the strength and power component. Yes, that's great to be able to look in the mirror and see the glutes. But the other thing that I see a lot is people confuse glute hypertrophy with good glute function. You mm -hmm. can have great hypertrophy and still be in a, you know, biomechanical mess. You're good. <laughs> You know, and just you can move a lot of weight dysfunctionally. And so a lot of people think that their glutes are dialed in because they've been able to make them stronger and have hypertrophy. But if you and I assess them, they still would have faulty movement patterns. But now they can just do it at a heavier load, which actually scares me more sometimes than if they do it with you couldn't do it with that type of load. Right. And I think you make a, a great point. I mean, there's, um, you know, there's books out there about, you know, hip thrusts and stuff. And of, of course, you know, Marty's read them, I've read them. And I think, I think the concept is fantastic because to your point, if you, it is your powerhouse, if you can get them stronger and everything is, is working optimally, it's fantastic. However, if someone has a compensation and you do load it, then where are you really getting that strength from? 
And I think that's kind of what, you know, what, what Marty just, just, you know, just stressed actually is if you, if you don't have optimal alignment at the hip and you start loading it very heavy, then, and you don't have, let's say proper link tension relationship in the hip, then you're going to end up really causing more issues long-term that can lead to severe low back pain and, <laughs> and a lot of other issues along the way. But when we're talking and, about the hip, oh, go ahead. And I was just saying, we have to remember, and I, you know, I grew up in the powerlifting days and I still struggle with some of this, that you, the stronger you get, the harder it is to correct those motions eventually when you are ready to correct those, because you've just really locked yourself into those movement patterns because you've gotten so strong. So, you know, let's, let's, let's try to take a step and make sure that we're moving well before we move under that type of load. Absolutely. And so when we talk about the hip, you know, what we're talking about, when you think about what is the hip made of, you've got your femur, which obviously is your big bone in your leg, and then you have your pelvis. And when you're looking at your pelvis, there are different parts of it. You've got your ilium, your ischium, and your pubis. And so when we're talking about the hip, we're, we're literally talking about these particular areas of what we're focusing on. And because of that, there are so many muscles that attach to these specific areas within the hip that, you know, obviously because of the, the ball and socket of abduction, adduction, flexion, extension, you know, you've got, you're, you know, you're able to move in circles where if it's a hinge joint, it would just be forward and, and back with slight, slight different movements um, throughout. And so again, think about what you're trying to achieve. And when we, when we do get to the program design, think about how you can train all of the different muscles because it really can affect what's happening on those particular, um, you know, parts of the bone itself. Yeah. And, and I think something else to add in there, because, you know, you really touched on something is when we're looking at the multiple planes of motion, and I always say that accidental exercise, and that's the beauty of the model is there's more to it than most people would think is we're not going to really get into the soft tissue, like, or, <laughs> or, or the structures, right? We're not going to get into the hip caps and all that. But when we get people working through different planes of motion, right, the proper way, you're keeping those structures pliable and or uh, the right extensibility and or strength that they need as well, too. So that's why it's so important to not just do sagittal plane exercise under heavy load. It's can they do a really well, you know, walking lunge where they do that thoracic rotation over top of the lead leg. So they're getting that internal rotation. You know, even one of the ones that I like to do a lot of times, and we'll get in this program design if we want, is you know, the, the active calf stretch, which, you know, my knees flexed to 90 degrees and I'm rotating. And most people think I'm stretching my calf on the, on the uh, stance leg, but what am I doing at the hip, right? I'm flossing that hip in a sense and getting that glide. So that way I also have that rotation. So that's why the hip is so important is we got to move in multiple planes and definitely don't want to load them all the heavy in multiple planes, but we really want to have that control and function throughout the frontal and transverse plane. Right. And training the stabilizers are going to be key in order to make the, the prime movers work the way that they're supposed to work. And so, um, you know, going through some of just just basic hip movements that sometimes we take for granted, you know, back in the day, everyone was doing the fire hydrants. It's like, OK, if you do those right, is it a bad muscle or a bad exercise? And the, abs the answer is no, because it can be very, very beneficial. It's just are you executing it correctly? So. You know, because if you've got a huge arch in your back or you're hiking it or, you know, getting motion, like you said, throughout, you know, your back versus your hip, um, that can actually lead to more problems. But, yeah. you know, and, okay. And one thing I said, as we get into the assessments, you know, this is why I love traveling when you or Ken or whoever I get to travel with is 
have someone watch you and watch your form and technique because it is so hard to watch what's going on in your own lumbar spine when you're trying to work through these. So as Wendy's going to go here through the assessments, but I would challenge all of you personal trainers on occasion, get another set of eyes on you, especially when you're looking at the hip, because sometimes you just, you think you're doing it well and you're really compensating and you don't even know it. I know where you're going with that. So just a little backstory, um, Marty, uh, another, another Miller, which was Ken Miller. And I actually did a corrective exercise workshop, uh, <laughs> just recently. And I was walking and Marty was behind me and he was like, what is happening at your foot? And I'm like, I thought I was walking fantastic. I thought everything was great, but apparently I have a major compensation that, you know, with all the travel and this being in front of the computer, I've neglected because I've been focusing so much on some other things correctively and my upper body that I was neglecting my lower body. So he brought that to my attention. I appreciate that. And I mean, that's the beauty of working with people that are very intelligent that can spot something out. Um, but that also is an assessment. As we talked about any movement, whether you're, you know, that's a gait assessment. Marty was doing a gait assessment on me and I didn't even know it, which is when you get the, mo the best information is when you're not trying to do it correctly. Because unfortunately, as trainers, we know what we're looking for. So if someone's analyzing me and I'm like, OK, I know my feet need to be straight, then I'm going to do my best to try to keep them straight. Now, we know oftentimes our clients aren't um, aware of what we're looking at, but sometimes when someone does assess you, it's very, um, informative. Um, so, so to Marty's point, it's, you know, have someone do an a, a assessment on you because it's very helpful to help you long-term because again, you're supposed to be the epitome of like health and movement. And if you've got a major compensation that someone can see right off the bat, then are you really practicing what you preach? And yeah. so, Promise, I didn't bring that up. I forgot about that. I was thinking about when I was hey, can you take a look at my shoulder? Because I can't, right? I couldn't do. Uh, I know myself. And in in all honesty, guys, I have an appointment tomorrow with a you uh, know you know movement specialist just because I'm like, hey, I need you to take a peek at something I can't see. So mm -hmm. you know, because you understand this and you teach it every so often, humble yourself in a very good way. Get your own assessment on video. Make sure somebody else assesses you, just so that way you it's a great learning opportunity. But you know, like I said, I'm obsessed with trying to get to that perfect movement. I don't know if it's going to happen, but you know, we're going to work towards it. Hey, I, me too. Nice time you see me. I'm really going to have, I'm really going to work on the lower body or, you know, that's my goal. So, um, but, but again, when yeah. we talk about assessments, you know, we often talk about the transitional, which obviously you can see right there, but look at from, from the, from the beginning, look at how someone's walking up to you. That's always important. Look at how someone is standing when they're talking to you. Are they, you know, leaning to one side, like what I call cocking a hip, uh, because, you know, that that may lead to an asymmetrical weight shift that you may see during the overhead squat. Once again, take off the shoes, set them up in the proper five kinetic chain checkpoints, hands go over their head. So ideal alignment before you have them start show, tell, do. So once again, you're having them line up, you're going to have them do five squats from the anterior view, the lateral view. And if you want from the posterior view, again, up to you of what you're comfortable with and how you're comfortable your client is from you being behind. And then, you know, based on those results, that may be enough. But if you're really unsure, like you notice that the knees are bowing out, that is really an uncommon compensation that people don't realize is uncommon because they're starting to see it more and more. However, if you have someone that their feet are straight, but their knees are bowing out, then do an, 
single leg squat assessment or even our new split squat and see what happens because a majority of the time, never always, but a majority of the time, unless someone is quote made that way and really bow-legged, then the knee will often cave in when they're on one foot or they're in a narrower stance. And so just to reiterate things that we've said in the past, it's important to take the single leg squat, lower body results over your two-legged um, overhead squat if they are different. And then of course, you're gonna maintain what you're seeing obviously in the upper body with the overhead squat and then design your program. And so as you see under, you know, that's your transitional, which are the movement ones that, that we've discussed. And I'm bringing this back up next with the goniometric assessments and NASM now has the mobility assessments that we're going to talk about. But those of us that have been trainers for many years have maybe become very accustomed to using a goniometer, which is basically what I call a human protractor. And when you're assessing someone and you're not sure if it's, if the compensation is occurring because of weaknesses of a muscle, but maybe a restricted joint due to the overactivity of a muscle, then if you take measurements of specific joints and it's ideal, then you know it's a weaker muscle. If you take a, a movement or a, you know, you take a measurement of a joint and it is quote locked up or not ideal, then you know probably it's the overactivity that led to that. So you really wanna focus more on the foam rolling and stretching. However, when we talk about about the hip, you can see these are all the specific areas that you would wanna focus on, which takes a lot of time. However, when you're looking at hip flexion, ideally you want anywhere from zero to 25 degrees. If you have that, fantastic. Hip extension, a lot of people are restricted in hip extension. Or when they're working out and you're having them perform exercises, they're going way beyond 15 degrees. And if you have them go, let's say, do a cable hip extension and you have them kick their leg back very far, just realize they should have 15 degrees. Anything beyond that, they're probably going to start using their lower back, which is not what you want. You really want to focus on the glutes and um, internal and external rotation. Marty just mentioned the importance of that. And we're going to go into more detail of why. But ultimately, we want about 45 degrees of dorsiflexion. I mean, I'm dorsiflexion. Wow. 45 degrees. degrees of, yeah, that would be amazing. Again, dorsiflexion is 25 degrees, but um, internal external rotation is 45 degrees as well as hip abduction and um, abduction and adduction. And so that's if you want to use a goni. We know that most people don't. And if you want to obviously practice using a goni, goniometer, I always call it a goni, but a goniometer, feel free to get used to it, but it does take time and practice to realize what number you're reading and all that. And so just so you know, these are ideal position or degrees of, of motion that you want to have. And we understand because most people aren't familiar with this, that if you look into our new CES, the CES now has taken the goniometric assessment component out and has now actually brought in the mobility assessments where you don't need a goniometer. All you need now is to visually look at someone to see if they quote pass or fail based on their, their ability to get to a certain range of motion. So if we go to the next slide, you're gonna see a little bit more of what we're talking about. And Marty, I don't know if you wanna kind of take us through some of the mobility stuff. 
Yeah, and the beauty of these is that they're very simple. And when you're looking at these, you know, it's not so, uh, how do I want to say, like, um, therapeutic when you're bringing out the goniometric things like that in a fitness center. We're here, you're just looking at ranges of motion. So it's a little less intimidating for some of your clients, potentially. The key thing is when we're doing the assessments, uh, you know, be able to tell, show, do. And again, if something doesn't look right, you know, we always say this in our live workshops, don't make a big deal of it. Don't be like, oh my God, I've never seen, you know, just take how do you move every, How do you get out of bed every day? <laughs> or the one thing is like, I never called like, Hey, Wendy, come over here. Have you ever seen, all right? Like just, you know, let's put that out there for a sake of conversation because people are going to be, you know, they, no one wants to fail anything. Right. So this is just uh, the information need, but what you'll see here at the top is kind of like a windshield wiper in a sense, right? This is the internal rotation test is what you're seeing there. So she's laying prone and then you just passively with your knees bent to 90 degrees, let your legs just naturally fall with gravity. And what you're looking for is if you're seeing like a 90 degrees, they should have their leg at that 45 degree mark. We're not worried if it's 41, 46, 38, it's if they're closer to 45, the better, right? Now, on occasion, you may find people that have too much mobility. And Wendy had kind of mentioned about that in, a, in another slide here. That is also a problem. But what we're looking for here is if they have a lack of range of motion, then we know we need to work on the inhibit and lengthen. If they have too much motion, they're going to need a lot of stability exercises to control that motion. So most people will have issues, especially men, I'm going to say with hip internal rotation. And when we get into squatting techniques and all that, that comes into play a lot. Then, you know, the modified Thomas test is a wonderful test. It, does, it clears up a lot of things. So if you have a, one of the massage type tables, you can see she just sits on the table. So basically the, the base of your pelvis sacrum is there. You lean back, tuck one knee to your chest and just let gravity naturally let your opposite leg fall. So if this was her and, you know, let's say she's not holding in that position on her right leg, you would see that her hip flexors are tight and her rectus femoris is tight because her knee hasn't really fallen past the 90 degrees, but her psoas is really tight because her knee should be more parallel with the table. But also when you're in a three-dimensional setting, if her knee abducts, I would know the TFL is overactive. So you could be one or all of those. So just a real easy, very simple test so you can hone in on the more specific stretching that you need. Then here you'll see also the lumbar flexion we uh, put in here, can you just very easily and gracefully go down to the ground and touch your toes? If not, you know, it's a, a couple of different things. It could be the way your pelvis sits, which is mine. It could be hamstring and or lats as well. So again, just a nice, easy screening technique to start to gather more information. And then again, this is always good for a test retest after a couple of weeks, after you put together a program or even right after you do your soft tissue work, you can retest to see if they're improving even slightly in these. So very easy to do. And I think, uh, you know, these new mobility assessments, I love them because they take no time and all it's doing. And, and I kind of want to reiterate the importance of mobility assessments is because it gives you a lot of information and it actually confirms what you're seeing in the transitional assessments. And so it's just a quick hit of, okay, you know what, she can get into 45 degrees of, you know, of, um, or, or, well, I should say she can actually go into the windshield wipers to where it looks like she's around 45 degrees on internal rotation. So it's not a joint quote restriction. It's a muscle thing. So, so all you're doing is looking and saying, yep, nope. Yep. Super simple. 
and 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 you take those notes and if somebody can't touch their toes you just put fail and that's the beauty of of the new ces and i i really like how they've laid it out they have done a great job showing you hey this is how you perform it this is what what you're looking for and if they cannot do it without compensation then it's a fail again you're not telling your client well you failed that but you're just saying okay that's great you know now i want you to move on i want you to get on the table and let's perform a Thomas test. This is all I want you to do. And you don't have to call it that. I want you to actually do this for me. I just want to see how your body reacts in this position. So as Marty said, your terminology and your the way you explain it to a, a client, you're just letting them know that you're just gathering more information. But the whole purpose of, of the mobility assessment is to help you determine the best route when you're designing a program on what do you need to look at in order to design the best program to get them out of whatever compensation you needed. Yep. And again, these are, you know, don't have to be all done the same day, right? Cause you know, some clients want to get right in and get after it. We understand that, but you want to be able to run your clients through these in a fairly uh, short period of time when you get to know them. So that way you can make the best program. And the cool thing about the mobility assessments rather than going to metric measurement is, you can almost do some of this almost as a, a passive warm up as well. So people really, you know, don't even know that you're truly assessing them. So there's a lot of cool things you can do with it. Yes. And you, especially on, to me, the, the one that you're showing here with the hip internal rotation, it is not uncommon that one side will fall out to 45 degrees and the other one may not. So before, Wendy. unfortunately I have, and I see it more often than not. So if that's the case, you're going to say like right leg fail, left leg pass. And, and so if there's anything that you notice that isn't ideal on both sides or there's something that's asymmetrical, please write that down because it's going to help you in your program design. Awesome. Yeah. So if we move on to the next slide and we discuss the, um, you know, Marty, I get this question all the time, and I know that you're going to give us a fantastic answer. So oh, I'm gonna I'm gonna pose the well, we're gonna hope, right? I'm gonna pose the question, and I want, and I'm sure I'm gonna piggyback off of this. But you've got all of this information, right? You've got somebody that comes to you, and when they're statically standing and they're just talking to you, their feet may be out. You notice they have an arch in their back. Their shoulders are rounded. Their heads forward. But then you put them into the overhead squat. They take off their shoes. You may see some of the same compensations, feet out, knees in, anterior tilt, shoulders rounded, arms forward, which people are like, man, that's everything. But in all reality, very commonly seen, especially when now we're getting out of we're getting out now more after being on lockdown with the pandemic. And then you we're looking at the mobility assessments and we notice that some are passed and some are failed. So you have all of this information like what? what do you do with it? Because it seems like everything is messed up. And then, you know, is it the hip? Is it the feet? Is it the shoulders? Like, what do you, what do you do? Usually I call you, right? <laughs> <laughs> I knew you were going to provide a great information. Is that a great answer? That is, yeah, I'll help you. <laughs> yeah. So, in theory, uh, you know, the, I'm going to start with a perfect world scenario where somebody's like, hey, whatever you want me to do training wise, I'm here. That's cool. I, I don't have any expectations of what my workouts have to be like. Just let's start the process. So the one part we didn't really mention is we also have the modified assessments to where I can start to focus on. Is it more hip and ankle or foot and ankle or hip? So, of course, I like to do the heels elevated 
overhead squat because if everything starts to clean up, then if I had to pick a priority, like I try to get to everything and sneak it in right over time, I always want to know what's my biggest issue. So I try to look at the biggest. Now, the biggest issue can you can identify that a couple of different ways. Have they had pain or discomfort or are they coming off a previous injury that they've been cleared to work with you now, but maybe they still have movement dysfunction? What do they do each and every day where it could feed into that same poor posture, right? If they sit all day, I know I'm going to have to address a lot at the lumbopelvic hip complex. If they're wearing high heels, elevated heels, I may have to address that and or attack the foot and ankle more. So those are some of the things that you can look at. But then I go through when I look at their static posture, then when I look at transitional, as Wendy said, so we'll reiterate this. If I see a faulty movement pattern while they're squatting, their feet turning out. Yes, you can use all parts of the corrective exercise continuum of inhibit, lengthen, activate, integrate. But when you add in the mobility assessments, let's say someone's feet turn out, but when you did the mobility, they had the right amount of dorsiflexion. Or if you had them do their, there's other assessments we didn't always put in here. So this is why it's important for you guys to, to dig through your material and take the course is let's say I have the right extension of the knee. Well, wait a minute. Those would be the muscles that are overactive causing the knees turn out potentially, you know, we could still address the hip, but if all of a sudden they pass that with their mobility, but transitionally when they squat, I saw it. Well, yeah, I'm still going to address the inhibit and lengthen, but maybe I need to spend a little more time on the activate and integrate. And I, I'm going to be honest with you. I fell into this myself. As Wendy knows, I've been working on my ankle dorsiflexion for a lot. And I, again, I can't assess my own ankle dorsiflexion, so I can only kind of see what happens when I squat. So I was at our mentor, Mike Clark. So I said, Hey, take a peek at my ankle. He measured it and it was 15 degrees, not ideal, but definitely not what I would have thought I was in the 10 or below because of what I saw in my squat. And guess what? I'm like, you know what? I've been doing a lot of soft tissue work. I've been doing a lot of static stretching. What I neglected was probably overloading in a sense appropriately, of course, but spending more time on anterior tib, medial gastroc and posterior tib. And I'm like, dang it. I just kind of assumed that if I did the soft tissue work and the stretching, right? Cause again, we already talked about why it's so important to have somebody else help you along with your program. So this is where you can really now become that detective and it's don't get overwhelmed with it. It's truly should make the process easier because we've given you another tool. If we didn't give you this tool, it could be more frustrating because you just keep using the entire part of it and thinking that it's going to change it. So again, I'll reiterate it again from the transitional. Let's use the a different movement. Well, let's use the same movement conversation. My feet turn out. Yes, it could be the calf complex is overactive. The short head of bicep for Morris is overactive. We're going to stay more around the foot and ankle and the knee, but they pass the a weight bearing lunge mobility assessment. They pass also the knee extension mobility assessment, but yet you would think that those muscles are overactive causing that. So maybe we need to shift our focus more on what allows it. And we'd have to strengthen the anterior tib, the posterior tib, the medial hamstring, medial gastroc. So you may have to do all four, right? You may have to do all four parts of that technique where if somebody is restricted in the mobility and has poor transitional, you have to do all four, but hopefully now we've added this extra tool to make it a little more specific once you understand the differentiation. So I know there's more material behind it, but in theory, it should actually make your program design even a little bit easier. So Wendy, I hope 
<laughs> no, I mean, I think I think you pretty much nailed it. And and the, the big key, part the, or the other part. Well, I don't know. I don't know how much time I have for that, but I I think that the key takeaway that we're trying to 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 really hone in on on this part is don't get overwhelmed. Just gather the information first and choose the assessments that you think are going to be safe for your client. So on the transitional side, if you know that their knees were caving way in, it's not safe for them necessarily to do a single leg. However, maybe they could do the split squat, which is now kind of a more of a, a lunge, if you will, um, to with a narrower base of support and see if that confirms it. If you don't feel comfortable and think that that could also be detrimental, then just take the overhead squat and go off of that information because you don't have to do too much. However, at that point, if you if you're like, OK, you know, the knees happening here, you did the modified squat, you know that it's really not the ankle, but you want to confirm that it's at the hip, then do the modified Thomas test that we just showed you. And mm -hmm. if the leg can't get down to the parallel of, you know, of the actual um you know, table or whatever you have them laying on, or to Marty's point, like they can't bend their knee. It, it just is more comfortable being almost straight. You know, it's a, it's a hip flexor, quads are tight. There's multiple things happening that should be your aha moment. Like, okay, I know that I need to focus on loosening these up. And, and, you know, it just, it's just really, I think super helpful. And, it's just another tool in your toolbox just to help design that program because there's nothing more f frustrating than you feel like, man, I need to foam roll seven different things based on what I saw. I need to, you know, go and stretch these seven things. And now I need to think about, okay, those were the seven things I had to stretch. I got to strengthen the other seven things that allowed that, you know, just shorten it up a little bit, confirm what is most important, focus on that first, and then we'll go on. So that's why we wanted to take this as a three series you know, basically a three series uh, webinar, three web, three part. series part. Yeah, whatever. We're doing this over three, three weeks is because it can be very complex because there's so many things that could show up as a compensation that really hones in on the hip having dysfunction. And we wanted to show you guys, here's an easy way to program. Here's some ways to think about fixing these compensations and dysfunctions and um, trying to help you uh, be even more successful without stress. And once again, you know, you made a light bulb go off my head. You know, uh, when I'm out on the coffee talks or when we're doing our workshops, a lot of people, uh, I don't want to say get frustrated, but maybe think that this is too complex. And we're like, oh, no, no, it's very simple because we know we don't have to do every single technique because we have learned through the years on how to filter and navigate and wiggle and be like, no, it's this, not that. So I was just thinking, and maybe people will put it in the comments. We've got a couple other cool series coming up, Wendy, but you know, we're always looking ahead. Maybe we could talk about uh, a couple of different compensations and do a, see this, do that and kind of split it up to where people are like, Oh, okay. I didn't need to do all that because with this mm -hmm. mobility assessment, it ruled out this. So maybe that could be a series that we do. I'm just saying, you know. Yeah. If you guys like that, let us know. But, but I think that one thing too, before we move on, I just want to also point out, because it made me think of this too. If you guys are on the right track, you're going to start to see some of these compensations clean up. So mm -hmm. you're going to know that if there is an overhead, you know, an anterior pelvic tilt, meaning that, that the hips 
you know, go forward or an excessive forward lean, you know, the hip complex is going to be overactive. So if you start to get better alignment throughout the hips and strengthen the glutes, then you're probably going to see some of those compensations start to diminish. They may not be gone, but you know that you're on the right track. So, so we're trying to de-stress you, but there are a lot of moving pieces in the hip complex. And so that's why we wanted, wanted specifically to go through this. But if we move on to our, our next slide here, and shocker, Marty, I mean, why well, would we put this here? I know, right? This is probably a slide that lives with us literally every webinar because guys, when you have a comp or when you have an assessment, if they have compensations, which unfortunately will be almost every single person you see, you're going to start them in phase one. And every four to six weeks, you're going to reassess them and hopefully get them up to power where there's no compensations there. The power output is going to increase and they're going to feel better, move better, perform better, you know, do everything in life better because you've taken them through a systematic progressive training protocol that's going to help them get get to, to whatever goal they want safely um, as possible. Yep. And the key thing is that it's this is, I think, one of the easiest ways for people to purchase personal training in the sense that you do the assessment, you identify the movement compensations, you show that you have a system to progress them, and then you show them that you have a training philosophy that's going to get them where they want to be. So instead of just, hey, what do you want to train today, which always oh, drives me crazy. Me too. But we put in client's choice, which is okay. But we're not, you know, we're talking about a little bit of the entire puzzle where we have a roadmap for, for all your clients now. So it really, again, cleans things up and it shows that you're on this path. And, you know, again, we've talked in the past, so go back and look at some of their webinars, how like today was an example. I did all three phases today and I finished with the little bit of power after I got myself moving well. So, you know, it doesn't mean that you can't get there, but um, this is that beautiful periodized program for you to follow. <laughs> it is beautiful, isn't it? <laughs> <laughs> All right. So if we move on to the next slide, we want to, you know, just kind of think, you know, truly about what are the key takeaways and shocker. The, I know, right. The big, the big thing is, is the assessments are going to be key. So I have that as number two, because if the assessments are key, then you're going to know what muscles you need to focus on on the activation side to alleviate, you know, to stop allowing those compensations to happen. And what muscles are causing those compensations are the ones that you're going to inhibit and, stre and stretch in order to get those little guys to stop pulling something out of whack where it doesn't belong. And so when we say know the muscles and joints, as you saw, Marty and I were kind of talking, okay, here in general is what you need to know. I mean, you've got your abductors, your adductors, you know, what are those complexes? Your hip flexor complex, your quads, there's four muscles in your quads, the, your hamstrings, everything is obviously going to be all connected. And then of course you've got things happening at the, the, the mid to lower back. So it's not the specifics of origin and insertion. However, you need to know the function of what these muscles do in order to properly design a program because if you understand that and then you look at your solutions table you're still going to focus on the faulty movement patterns and that solutions table will say if you see this compensation guys foam roll this stretch this and activate that and then it's going to help with that one particular compensation absolutely and whether this is the hip whether we go into foot and ankle whether this you're going to see this this is the process that we go through 
just gotta, mm -hmm. you know, have a plan, know what you're doing, um, based off an assessment. And if you're working to improve human movement, then you go through the phases. It's kind of that simple. Yes. We try to make it simple. That's what we're hoping. We're trying to simplify your life. <laughs> oh, well, um, you know, I, we're, we're hoping that you guys actually join us, um, you know, next week too, because next week we're going to be talking about these, the same thing, the hip complex, but in movement and sport and in our everyday life. And so that's what we have on the docket for next week. And I really think it kind of puts in perspective, you know, how, how, how do we, how do we move past the compensations of the hip and um, what are you commonly going to see and how do, how do we work on fixing that? Excellent. I yes. <laughs> well, um, Marty, before we end, I'm going to go ahead and, and step in here. So if we go to the next slide, you guys are going to see my contact information. As always, you guys can email me with any questions or if you guys have ideas. I and mean, we got some great feedback on the Facebook page and in our chats that kind of trigger us to, to say, okay, people are asking a lot about the hip. Marty, let's do something on the hip. And somebody's asked us for some things coming up in the future. We really do take your feedback into consideration and want to try to you know, produce these that are going to be beneficial to whatever your needs are. So, so feel free to email myself if you want. Um, it's at wendy.bats at nasm.org, or you can always find me on Instagram at wendy.bats13. And then my contact information is there as well. You see my email, my Instagram, dr.martymiller72. If you want Wendy's cell phone number so you can call her like I do, <laughs> email me and I'll be like, I have no idea where you got that from. So uh, mm -hmm. remember, it takes two. <laughs> oh, perfect. Perfect. Awesome, everybody. Well, thank you guys so much. And we look forward to seeing you next week on our second part of this three-part series. <laughs>